This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. You like that one, right? Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season seven, episode 13 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Killer in Me. As well as Gilmore Girls, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. This episode is a liar. You thought that Jess would be here? The name of the episode is I Would Rather Be in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. which is where Jess is right now. We don't know, but probably. Where Rory, like, left to go to be with him when she had a big fight with Logan last Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. This title is like a big tease to fans. Like, hey, guys, Jess is coming back or we're going to be talking about Jess. But I think when this aired, they weren't like, next week's episode is titled blank, you know? I no, don't but think we knew the episode titles unless all we, like, these had people a TV guide. We're going through the TV guides, looking. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to go through the TV, because I used to like horror movies and my parents wouldn't let me watch them, so I would go through the TV guide. I would just like go through it, looking for horror movies that are going to be on TV that I could watch. And I can only imagine that someone saw that and was like, oh my God, Jess is back. I'm so excited. And it didn't happen. And I feel bad for those people. Yeah, I remember a long time ago, you like somehow came across this episode title. And you were like, oh, I know Jess comes back in season seven. And I was like, does he come back right at that moment? So I checked out the episode. I was like, no, that's not that's not it. Would have been awesome if he came there to be there for Rory as well. And like everybody but Christopher is fucking there. Max Medina shows up. I heard Lorelai me for him. Yeah. Because I knew that that Philadelphia stuff happened, but I was like, I'm pretty sure that's like in season six. So I was excited for this episode to be a trick for you, but we'll get there. What else is new? Do we do anything cool this weekend? Yesterday was really nice. It was a beautiful day. Yeah, it was really nice. We uh, had a beer outside at a restaurant. It was nice. Uh, we also got ice cream at a little gelato place in our neighborhood you hadn't been to yet. Mm-hmm. And we went to another place and asked them about running some games of Blood in the Clock Tower. We had a very productive outside day yesterday. Yeah, we were just going for like a quick walk. And then we we went everywhere. Made stops. It's crazy. It was really nice out. It's been like really cold and rainy here. And it was like perfect weather yesterday. Yeah. We also have a few five-star reviews from Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to Sam Rose. Thank you. From Facebook. Thank you so much to Madeline Antolin. Thank you. And we also got a bunch of comments over on Spotify. I'm just going to shout out the people that left comments that read like five-star reviews. Thank you so much to The Stevens, Mandy Lynn Knowles, Allison Bushy Cooper, Jen, Kristen Bronson, Petri Freundlich, Shea 7 Bay, and Leah. Thank you, everyone. All right. Should we hop into episodes? Let's do it. This week, we started with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Stacy, please tell us all about The Killer in Me. The Killer in Me is about Willow dealing with some trauma that she maybe hasn't dealt with yet Mm -hmm. regarding Tara. It's also about Spike dealing with the issues with his chip Mm -hmm. and figuring out what's going on with Giles. What do you mean? Well, we'll get there, Brian. He definitely has some splaining to do. 
It was so fun this season watching you fall for this. <laughs> well, the show wanted you to fall for it. It did. But you kept being like, I have a theory. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you do. That's a great theory to have. <laughs> <laughs> you led me to it. Oh, yeah. I dropped little Easter eggs, little crumbleos, breadcrumbs, breadcrumbleos. I'm a crumbleo. Have we talked about that? I'm sure we have. We have. Real quick recrap. Recrap. A recap. Let's just shit this out again. Real mm-hmm. quick recap. A crumbleo is someone who, whenever they eat, makes way too many crumbs. And that would be Stacy. I am a spillbilly, just to be fair, meaning that I will spill things for no reason. Yeah, he's always knocking drinks over. And spillbilly is honestly, it's less frequent than a crumbleo, but when it happens, it's way more intense cleanup. Yeah, there's often broken glass and apologies to waiters, brooms, mops. Me, it's just a couple little crumbs. Always, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, Giles is heading out to the desert with the potentials to do the vision quest hokey pokey thing he did with Buffy in order for them to, you know, meet the first Slayer and understand their power. We don't ever really see this, but that's what's happening. Do you think the Slayer, like, says what each of their gifts are, like Buffy's? Yeah, death is your gift. Gab is your gift. (laughs) Sewing is your gift. Sewing? What? You're going to die. <laughs> oh Giles asked Don to run Vi's forgotten notebook out to the car. You're going out there in a minute, Giles. You take it. Why can't yeah. you take it? This scene is like, really, the show's like, just FYI, everybody, in case you haven't noticed, Giles don't touch nothing. <laughs> so he either wants to get rid of Don so he could talk to Buffy alone, or he's lazy as shit, or he's dead. I'm guessing it's the first thing. Yeah, this first scene, though, let's, I mean, there's, it's a couple of things. He's like, Don, go grab those books I don't want to touch and take them outside. I cannot touch things. And then Buffy's all like, you're not driving, Giles, because your license wasn't renewed, just so the audience knows that it's not weird that you can't touch the steering wheel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Giles is super nervous about leaving Buffy alone. Buffy is quite sick, like the actress probably is. So they were just like, yep, Buffy's sick. This isn't a plot point, but in the first scene, she's like drinking tea. I didn't notice her voice later, but she really doesn't talk that much in this episode. No, but you could tell she's sick just from her voice. Mm-hmm. And I guess it could be an affectation. But yeah, like you said, it could have been that she was just actually sick. Also sick is Kennedy. So she's not going on the little Slayer field trip. We now find out that Spike is living in the basement. Maybe he was there in the last episode, but they didn't show us that. Buffy goes down to hang out with Spike. They chat about how glad they are that all the teenage girls are going to be gone for a couple days. And Buffy notices that Spike has chained himself to the wall. She's a little confused because he hasn't expressed any desire to eat anyone lately. Oh, I thought you were going to mean this is a sex thing. <laughs> what? I thought you were going to say he hasn't expressed any desire to have sex because they were into some kinky, cuffy role play. No, he's just um, being extra cautious until they like know for sure that the first is done with him. So they're having a nice conversation. Things seem great. But then Spike starts having some severe chip pains out of nowhere. After the intro credits, Buffy comes upstairs and talks to Willow, who's making some tea for Kennedy, which is just tea, okay? <laughs> it's not a flirtation device. Is that what she says? I don't remember. No, but oh, that's, okay. that's what she says. They talk about Spike's chip a little. They finally comment that it was weird that he could kill all those people recently, despite the chip. Like, that never really came up in those other episodes. Right. And then Willow takes the just tea up to Kennedy, who seems not sick at all. She's getting dressed to go out on her own mission, which is Operation Woo Willow. Operation Woo Willow. Kennedy takes Willow to the bronze and buys them a couple of tropical drinks. 
Willow's like, this isn't a real mission. This is a date. So Willow wants to leave, but Kennedy puppy dog eyes her into saying for one drink. So is Kennedy 21? I would assume so. I guess, yeah, because she's commented that she's older, but she doesn't like seem a ton older than the rest of them. She asks Willow how long she's known she's gay, and Kennedy very flirtily explains her process for figuring out if a woman is into her. Willow starts to open up a bit and tells her that she knew about three years ago, but it wasn't women, it was woman, Tara. And she's clearly a little uncomfortable talking about Tara. She, like, coyly pretends to not understand why Kennedy likes her. I don't think she's pretending. I think she just, like, isn't used to people being into her still. I mean, I, th- I think she's, yeah, unused to it. And, like, with Tara, like, they had, like, a magical connection that sort of, like, organically sparked attraction over time. Mm-hmm. But Kennedy just, like, walked into the house and was like, and you and I are smashing. So, yeah. like, uh, it's like, okay, well, there was a clear ac- attraction immediately. What was it? But Kennedy tells her she likes the way she speaks and her lickable freckles. She also thinks magic is bullshit, but hey, she'll look past that for a lick of those freckles. <laughs> I feel like this line from Kennedy is awful. Like, <laughs> like if I dated a girl who was into horoscopes, that shit's total bullshit. I'm sorry. I know you guys listening. Some of you are probably into it, and I apologize. I That's just my opinion on it, uh, and it's the right opinion. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> But, like, if I were trying to woo somebody who was in horoscopes, I wouldn't be like, that's all bullshit anyway. I could love you still. Like, <laughs> Could you love someone who's very into horoscopes? Is that a deal breaker? I mean, I could probably still love someone that's really into horoscopes, yeah. Okay. I think I would just, over time, continually present my evidence as for why I would not believe in that, but let them make their own judgment. I guess there would be friction. I don't know. But also for Kennedy to say this is really dumb because it's like the whole Slayer thing is magic. Yeah, yeah. Your power is magic. Like magic is real and powerful and your whole thing is magic. So what are you talking about? Well, regardless, Willow seems slightly wooed or drunk. She likes getting negged. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the basement, Spike's not doing great. They wonder if it has something to do with his sleeper agent trigger or his new soul. Or the chip's just breaking because it's been in there a minute. Mm. So Buffy tries to call Riley to see if he knows anything about why the chip would be malfunctioning. But she's having a hard time getting through. The people she's on the phone with are claiming to be a flower shop, but she suspects that's just their cover. Either way, they're not giving her the info she needs. Yeah. Meanwhile, Spike's contractions are getting worse. Contractions. (laughs) (laughs) Kennedy walks Willow home to their shared bedroom where obviously some things are going to happen. They share. Is that it's what just, Kennedy says when we walk in? Obviously, some things are going to happen. They just like walk into a dark room after like a nice date where they just yeah. gonna, like put their jammies on in opposite corners and go to sleep. Yeah. No, they share a beautiful kiss. And when they're done, Willow has just casually turned into Warren. I guess Kennedy turned her straight. I don't know. <laughs> Kennedy's freaking out, understandably. Willow doesn't understand why until she looks in the mirror and sees what Kennedy sees. She's got. Warren face. So Willow still feels like Willow, but she looks like Warren to everyone else. And they portray this to us, the audience, by using both actors interchangeably, like not simultaneously. I'm assuming they filmed all of these scenes twice, one with Willow and one with the guy that plays Warren. Yeah, Adam Bush. And they both do a pretty good job of imitating the other, I would say. Yeah. That was probably fun to do. Yeah. There must have just been like bags and bags of letters to the writers asking them to bring Warren back. So they wrote this episode. (laughs) Yeah, they just keep bringing it back. Like, we need more Warren, please. 
I liked how evil and gross and despicable he was and how I gag every time he's on screen. Can we have more of him? He is good at his character. Yeah. His character's just so slimy and evil. Yeah, I'm 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 done with him at this point. He's not the kind of evil that you like watching. Like Glory was kind of fun to watch on screen. Like even the master was kind of fun to watch on screen. Or Angel. Spike. Did I not say Spike? I don't know. Will explains to Kennedy that the face she's seeing is the face of the man that Willow killed. She runs downstairs to explain to her friends what's happening. They all assume the first is back. Andrew's like, fuck, it's you. You can't control me anymore. Willow keeps insisting she's not the first. Buffy walks in and punches Warren slash Willow, which doesn't feel good. So they're all like, wait a minute. If this was the first, you wouldn't be able to hit them. And Willow's like, friggin' exactly, dudes. <laughs> You're doing some weird expectations <laughs> for everybody. Andrew dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> Willow's all chill now. <laughs> totally, bro. That's what I've been saying, y'all. We got senioritis up in here. <laughs> Then Andrew's like briefly excited that Warren is back from the dead once he thinks it's alive Warren. He's like in love with Warren. <laughs> and he gives Willow an inappropriate hug from behind. Full booby grab. To be fair, if it were Warren, it would have been appropriate. <laughs> totally. I don't think Andrew was like really looking to grope any women's chests, quite honestly. Probably not. This scene is all pretty funny. It's very farcical, kind of who's on first D. Yeah. <laughs> first. <laughs> Spike, the whole time, though, is having a contraction, which everyone is kind of ignoring. No one cares about pregnant vampires anymore. <laughs> Willow's trying to prove she's Willow by threatening to out Xander's more embarrassing kindergarten stories involving underwear. Yeah. And Xander's like, hey, Willow, it's you. <laughs> Willow suspects she somehow brought this on herself, since she's got a history of her subconscious causing awry spells. And maybe she did this because she feels bad about killing Warren. While she's talking, Dawn and Andrew are just, like, prodding her, trying to make sure she's not the first, though. Mm -hmm. Willow insists she wants to fix this on her own. The rest of them should stay here and deal with Spike. So Willow goes out. Kennedy follows her. Kennedy's like, safe to say no one will ever accuse you of being too butch. She's, like, trying to make a joke to lighten the mood, but I don't really get this. Right. Because she's very butch now, if she's got a male body. I think she even goes on to kind of explain the joke, but like Willow's not in the mood and I, I don't know who this was for. It just doesn't really work on any level. Unless yeah, I, I miss it or something. I didn't really get it. It might have made sense if she said something like, I didn't know you were this butch or I'm not usually yeah. attracted to butch women or something like that. Yeah. Well, like I said, Willow's not in the mood. She really wants to do this on her own, but Kennedy insists on following her. Also, Buffy and Spike are going to go off on their own adventure to fix this ship. But before that, during all of this, let's talk about this other storyline. At the Sami Res, the phone rings. Andrew answers because he's waiting to hear about a new copy of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The comic book. Must be. I don't know. It's a movie as far as I'm concerned, but is it a comic book? Yeah, and he's hoping that they have the new issue in. Okay. Xander's like, ooh, ask if they have two. And then Dawn and Anya kind of glare at him like, you nerd. Right. He, like, hates himself for having the same interests as Andrew. I wish they were friends. I mean, he did try to kill them all, but yeah, it'd be fun. They could have been friends in high school. Yeah. But the call isn't for Andrew. It's Robson. This is the guy that we saw right when Giles maybe died off screen. He's the guy that Giles was, like, bending down to be like, are you okay? Like, what happened here? He opens his eyes, then... An axe goes towards Giles' head. Yes. Somehow he survived, and he's calling to be like, hey, I think Giles should be dead. 
Yeah. So he explains all this to them. He says that Giles was there to help him, but he blacked out. And the last thing that he remembers is Giles' head about to be cut off. What happened to him then? If he doesn't remember that, he blacked out like in that moment. They're all like, what? Giles never mentioned any of this. Exactly, Scoobies. Exactly. (laughs) So they start trying to remember if Giles has touched anything. They can't remember any instances because there really aren't any that we've seen. If I were Don, I'd be like, yeah, you know, he made me move some books outside and that seemed pointless. (laughs) You did point out, you kind of like alluded to me missing something in the episode where him and Anya go talk to the eye blob. There is maybe a brief second where her hand like touches his hand. I think that's a mistake. I think it's just a mistake. They have them like so close together. They were bound to touch. Yeah. They should have had him like slightly further from her. So this was intentional by Joss to like not have Giles touch anybody since he got back. And the the writing was also kind of there to make him seem a little weird. Like in Mm -hmm. the episode where he reappears, besides a few obvious instances where it seems like he should touch somebody he doesn't. He's like very negative and pessimistic when he's trying to help Buffy and then like isn't quite there for her when she gets sucked down the hole. Yeah, he's like literally leaves the top of the hole. But I'll be honest, I never had the theory or inkling that Giles might have been the first until this episode where they kind of put it together. Rewatching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's obvious when he shows up, Buffy goes for a hug and then like they don't and like they should have hugged right after that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I wonder if I would have suspected if you hadn't been like, oh, no, what's the deal with Giles this season? (laughs) So I was like very much on the lookout for it. But there were a ton of clues in that episode. There were. And I think they're really nice when you rewatch the series or like you are sort of prompted to look for these things. But I did not. I'm I'm curious how many people the first time through were like, it's weird that Giles isn't touching anybody. They like referenced Shyamalan, which was, I thought, a big clue. Yeah. So they're all off to the desert to find Giles before he can do bad, bad things to the potentials. Well, he can't really do anything, but I guess he can, like, tell the bringers to come because they're out there alone. Right. Or, like, convince them to, like, cut themselves or some shit saying it's part of the ritual. That's true. Yeah. Xander reluctantly agrees to bring Andrew, who's trying to play car games that nobody wants to play. And they eventually get to the desert where Giles is sitting alone by a fire. They all just, like, come in tackling him, yelling, touch him, touch him. <laughs> And they can. They all feel him. He's alive. They explain how worried they were. He was the first and came to make sure he was okay. He thinks this is very sweet. So Giles was just good and then left Robson there unconscious? Like, I assume we're going to find out how this went down at some point. Like, how he didn't get his head cut off. We will, yeah. Okay. But he did just leave Robson there, passed out. He's got shit to do, man. (laughs) He's got horses to feed. (laughs) His horse feed timer went off. He's like, I got to go, Robson. Sorry, buddy. Hope you live. People to call back. He's got a busy schedule. He owns a soccer team now. He's got a lot going on. (laughs) He definitely doesn't have any notebooks to move. (laughs) Yeah. Giles makes a joke in this scene that I feel like I love Buffy. I think Buffy's so funny, but I feel like this joke is a huge swing and a miss. I wasn't even going to bring it up because I didn't think it was that funny. Um, Yeah, he's like, wait, so you think... I'm evil if I bring girls to the desert and don't touch them? It's so silly because Giles definitely understands the logic, right? Uh-huh. Like, if you if this was just some rando dude on the street and it's like, we suspected you were evil because you weren't touching anybody, then that rando guy would be like, what now? But Giles gets it. Yeah, I feel like I just don't buy that he would deliver this line. There's something funny there, so I get why they went for it, but like... I don't know. It it doesn't seem like a joke he would make. No. 
and also the he, he makes the joke sort of like almost like wait what like not almost yeah. like it's not a joke yeah like, he's not making it as a joke he's just saying like shouldn't it be the other way but it's definitely a joke for us and i was like wow that's a whiff buffy <laughs> like it I usually seems think you're like great. a side comment like xander could have made or something yeah. if they really wanted to make that joke also real quick i'll say that the reason this episode you'll notice when they show up to tackle giles that he's not surrounded by a group of young women who should be on the trip with him it's because they just didn't have the budget to pay for all these actors to just essentially do nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, I assume they're all off on the quest part. When Buffy did it, she wasn't with him. I know, but, like, that's the reason that they're not even in the episode, like, going into the car. They're just not in it, so they didn't have to pay them. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they just, like, wrote one of them off last episode. I'm sure that's why. They needed Warren. <laughs> they were like, we put all our money into Warren. We gotta bring him back. So, Buffy and Spike have gone to break into the back entrance to the initiative. Because Spike remembers a drug they used to give him to calm his chip contractions. You pointed out a couple things don't really make sense here. Yeah. For one, I think in the episode where they, like, defeat Adam, they say they're going to fill in the initiative with concrete. Yes. So it shouldn't even still be here. I guess the Scoobies maybe weren't privy to that info, so Buffy and Spike maybe wouldn't know that. That might have just been, like, a private government narration. Absolutely. They wouldn't have known that, so they could have come to check it out. You could also argue that this high-level officer is just saying, we're filling it in with concrete, all right? And then later contacted whoever was supposed to do it and was like, leave it because we're going to go back. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. There's, or you could say there's a third option, which they went to come do that, and whatever's there killed them. But also, when did Spike take this drug? Didn't he realize he had a chip when he was out of the initiative trying to bite Willow in her dorm? Absolutely. He had no idea he had the chip until later. So, like, how many times did this happen? I feel like they put the chip in and then he, like, escaped very quickly after that. Uh-huh. And also, it's like, I feel like any pain medication would do the same thing. Morphine would solve it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So, they make their way down there where there's just all kinds of dead bodies. I hope they're just demon bodies and the initiative didn't, like, leave their own people. I think they did is the idea. That's not nice. Some of them look like demons. Most of them do. Um, we can't really tell because the lighting is so, so bad in this scene. God, we've talked about this before, but season seven Buffy, like, I don't know if their cameras got corroded or if they're just, like, borrowing cameras. This looks like shit. Like, it looks I mean, bad. It's pitch black with flashlights and emergency red lights for most of it. But, wow, you, you really cannot see anything with the camera they're using. And when you can see, it just looks pixelated and lighted. Port- like, it just looks bad. I do feel like the vibes of this scene and the atmosphere is good. It's like we're back to the creepy, like, haunted house type of thing. I I thought that was good. It just looks so low quality. Yeah, but, like, when the action starts, it's kind of just like, okay, well, I I believe something's happening. (laughs) Yeah, and Buffy probably punched him here. We get a brief glimpse of someone passing by in the background, so we quickly learn they are not alone down here. It's a demon. It attacks, knocking the flashlight out of Buffy's hand, starts slapping her around. Spike seems to be having another contraction at this moment. He collapses, and then the demon drops what he's doing with Buffy to drag Spike away. She goes after him. The demon attacks her again. They fight, we think. Pretty sure she eventually gets him with, like, a sword to the throat? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. She's gone. He's dealt with. Buffy goes to check on Spike, and then all the lights turn on, and a bunch of the initiative boys are there. Turns out her call to Riley did work, and they're here to help her and Assface here. Those were Riley's exact words, they said. So these guys were just waiting in the darkness for Buffy to get done fighting this demon? That's what the initiative does. They've done it before. (laughs) This is like the third time. They love waiting in the darkness. That happened in, like, when they came to Riley's apartment. Yeah. They were just waiting in the darkness. But also, the 
there was like a time when they were trying to escape the initiative with like Oz or something. Yeah, and they're just waiting in the dark. It's like their favorite thing to do. But they're here to help Buffy. So their plan was to first wait to see if this demon killed her or not before giving her a hand. <laughs> they probably couldn't see what happens. They're probably like, <laughs> I think Buffy just killed him. It's hard to tell. Well, the med team takes a look at Spike's chip. Turns out it's degrading. It's slowly killing him. And they can either repair it or remove it. And Riley's put the decision in Buffy's hands. We don't resolve this this episode. Back to the main story. Willow and Kennedy go to campus where Willow's old Wicca group is having a little witch prayer in the school's one classroom. And this is the same group that she tried to hang out with in season four. But they were a yes. bunch of like wannabes, faux witches. I don't think it's any of the same actresses. Right. Like, the main one that talks, I looked it up. She was not in Hush. I, I didn't like cross-reference everyone, but... I don't think it's the same people. Yeah, I didn't recognize any of them. But did she know they'd be meeting? Like, maybe she technically goes to school here and saw a poster. She was, yeah, like, gonna know. go back to class in the beginning of the season, but, like, they haven't talked about that at all. Maybe she could, like, f- literally feel their magic. I don't know. She's got all kinds of powers now. Well, she's like, hey, I used to be in this group back when you didn't do magic. They've heard of her slash remember her, but are a little confused by the fact that she's a guy now. Remember, she looks like Warren. Yeah. But then someone chimes in that they can tell that it's actually Willow because it's Amy. She's a thousand years old now. Yeah, I, I, this sounds awful, but I just she doesn't look like she was in high school with them a few years ago. I looked it up. She's 32, probably, at the time of filming. And she always was a little older. She's like slightly older than the actor that plays Xander. So she didn't really ever look like a high schooler. But now that she's like fully 32, it's like hard to buy her as a college student. Totally, yeah. I mean, you know, being a rat, maybe she was aging in rat years during that time. So she's really like 10 years <laughs> older. I mean, it's the same with like Cordelia. I think she's probably 30 playing 21, but they kind of stopped making us pretend she's 21. Yeah. I don't know. I, I noticed it that like Allison and Sarah and Nicholas all definitely look older than these teen girls in their house. But Amy's even older than them. And it's just it, like, OK, are you the mom of this group? <laughs> I want to make it clear the actress does not look bad. Right, she just doesn't look age-appropriate for what we're being told she is. I like my rat theory. I think that's what happened. hmm She explains that she's reformed now after hitting witch rock bottom, and these guys are helping her work on herself. So she agrees to try to help Willow undo this. But her spell seems to backfire, and Willow's like, that didn't work, you dumb bitch, and she slaps her. Willow did It sounds that. like Stacey just, like, was <laughs> summing no, up what no. happened funnily, Willow but no. Willow said that. <laughs> Willow said those words and slaps her. Willow doesn't know what's come over her. Seems like the Warren in her is starting to take over. That's not good. Mm -mm. So she storms off again. Kennedy can't stop her. Willow stops outside to have a little meltdown. And the Warren in her doesn't want to be crying like a little girl. So he's off to buy a gun like a man does. That's what men do when they start to cry. It's just what we've been trained (laughs) by society to do. If you start to cry as a man, just go buy a gun. You'll be fine. The gun shopkeeper recognizes Warren. He's like, good to see you. The usual. What? Is he a gentleman? <laughs> He's got a top hat. <laughs> and what else might I interest a good sir like you in? But he was like, how did the last one work out? I was like, you wouldn't need a new one unless you murdered someone and had to hide the gun. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kennedy goes back to talk to Amy. Amy can sense that Kennedy is really worried about Willow and tells her that Willow's going to be fine. She's been through worse. And this was before she found herself a potential Slayer bodyguard. Kennedy's like, uh... I never told you I was a potential slayer. And Amy's like, whoopsie, I'm still bad. I lied. 
I put a hex on Willow to punish her, but it's designed to let the victim subconscious pick their own punishment, hence why she's Warren. Makes enough sense. She said she did this because it's about power. Willow always had power. And everyone else has had to work for everything, but sweet little Willow is so weak and gave into evil so easily, but everyone still loves her despite that. And I don't know, she's basically just jealous that everyone likes Willow and everyone hated her. Yeah. So she's doing this to mess with her and make people like her less. Kennedy tries to get her to reverse it, but Amy's like, nah. And then teleports Kennedy to the scene where Warren shot everybody? I don't really know how this works. It seems like that's a big, powerful magic thing to do. Yeah, like, Willow couldn't teleport. That was a plot point. She could, but it was, like, if she was at full strength. I thought Anya said she can't teleport. She I mean, could, she like, literally does. There. I, if I remember correctly, it's something along the lines of, like, at her current power level, she couldn't. But then later in the episode, after she absorbs Rack, she's able to teleport. Yeah, yeah. But it does not seem like Amy should be able to teleport I agree with you someone completely. else. Completely. If she did do it, she'd be like on the floor like, okay, I'm tired now. That was like everything I had. So is Amy just like free still then to do whatever? I guess. We, we won't see her again. She's done. It feels unresolved. It does. But it's done. <laughs> She's maybe in the comics. I don't know. Amy went on to actually write Gilmore Girls after this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's dumb. Well, Kennedy's in the backyard. Willow shows up with her gun, delivering the same lines that Warren did when he first showed up, I think. Just about. He says, you think you can just do that to me, that I'd let you get away with it? I think that's what he says. She's here to shoot Kennedy, who she didn't know would be here, right? Yeah, I mean, she might have just showed up because of the spell, and Amy knew she was there, and so when Willow sees her there, she just picks up with her. It's also daytime now? It was nighttime when she was in the classroom. Oh, you're right. I didn't even think about that. That's, okay. Amy's what a god, I guess. What is happening? Is this a real place in time? Yeah, because they just go inside when it's a, whatever. She transported her through space and time. I think Amy um, did a lot of witch training in a hyperbolic time chamber, which is why she's so strong now and also so much older. That's a <laughs> Dragon Ball Z reference, and I'm done. Okay. Willow's here to shoot Kennedy because she believes that she's trying to make her forget Tara, I think. Willow's freaking out. She tells Kennedy that Warren is winning. She can't hold on. She's being punished for kissing Kennedy. And she's turning into Warren, too. She's not just looking like Warren. She's, like, literally becoming Warren. His personality is, like, taking over. She simultaneously is feeling guilty for killing Warren and for moving on from Tara, but is also maybe, like, feeling guilt as Warren for killing Tara. Hmm. I think. Maybe. I didn't think about it that way, but you could be right. I think some of the language is like the Warren in her being like, I killed Tara. That's bad. Willow slash Warren like fall to their knees in emotion and guilt. And Kennedy's like, Willow, you didn't do anything wrong. This is all just magic. And like I said before, magic is just like fairy tales. She did say that before. I don't think I mentioned that exactly. So just like in fairy tales, I'm going to kiss you back to life. So she makes out with Warren for a little while and he turns back into Willow. Willow's not sure if she's all right or not, but Kennedy helps her inside to make her some tea. And that's the end of the episode. Brian, was this a good one? Um, it was fine. It was fine. It wasn't a great one, no, but it was fine. I I would say it wasn't even good. good. Yeah. I'm fine with them, like, helping Willow work through this Tara stuff and, like, how she probably would have a weird response to being with another woman. She hasn't really explored that yet. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know that we needed a Warren cameo to make it happen. Well, I I will say a couple things. I'll say this in defense of this episode. 
Willow's whole deal, I'm glad that we're not just like, I had some trauma and I had an episode where I had to get over it and now we're good. It's like, yeah, she's going to be dealing with her trauma from that for the rest of her life. Yeah. So I'm glad we're still like, that's not going anywhere. Like, she's still got to deal with that. So I like that aspect. And Kennedy's aware of it. Yeah. And I'm also liking the aspect that we brought Amy back, even though we don't close her storyline off. It's like, I'm not even kidding. I'm not gaslighting you. She's done. Like I said, she might be back in the comics, but she's done on the show. It's kind of weird that we didn't address that or like how she's so strong right now. Yeah, I think we needed to resolve her, but I don't, I don't know. It felt kind of shoehorned in. But also, when did she do the hex? Right. Like right before she came to the magic night? Is she actually like working out her issues with these girls? I don't think so. Why is she hanging out with them? I shouldn't say girls. There's a guy in the witch group. How does she know that Kennedy is a potential? Right. I mean, it's just a lot of unanswered questions. Also, Kennedy is a character who I don't hate. A lot of people hate Kennedy. But I feel like in this episode, well, good. But I feel like in this episode, she is annoying. Because the way she poo-poos magic, I already said this, but it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Magic is real. You've seen the effects. Yeah. And then for her being like, I get magic now. I'm like, do you though? Why don't you you like actually have a conversation with someone about magic before you decide you understand how it works? Unfortunately, her kiss does fix it. So she feels validated. I know. So I'm like, wait, is magic just fairy tales then? Like, did you figure out magic? Just whatever you want it to be? I didn't really get how the kiss brought it back. Yeah. It didn't make sense. They don't explain that at all. No. Is Amy just going to hex her again? You've said no, but like, what's stopping her? Yeah, totally. But like the Giles line wasn't that funny. There was a lot of lines that weren't particularly funny. I did really like when Spike and Buffy were in the initiative. Like I said, I thought that was creepy vibe. I liked that. But I couldn't see shit. So (laughs) it was like really dumb at the end of the day. And there's like flaws with that. Like, what is this drug? Yeah, none of it really made sense. And like the dialogue down there was weird. Buffy's all like, we should look for some more information while we're down here. Yeah, we should. They see something. Let's only be down here for a little bit. Good idea. Like, all right, cut this dialogue then, man. This episode is unusually flawed. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that everything with Amy makes sense. Some of that initiative stuff doesn't make sense. If Riley calling him ass face, like, that was whatever. It was kind of funny. There's still some, like, questions with how this Giles Robson day went down. <laughs> but maybe they'll answer they that. They will address that. So, yeah, I guess I would have to say it's a weaker one. Not, not necessarily a good one. Mostly I just liked the scene of them and the initiative for the vibe. That was it. I think I've disliked episodes more, but I wasn't a fan of the choices they made in this one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, there was some fun stuff throughout. Well, talking about fun stuff. Let's move on to a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries and what we remember of what we've said about the show so far. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 7, Episode 13, Charmageddon. The utopia brought on by the Avatars comes with a price too high for Leo, who joins Zanku to stop the Avatars. So as we set up, Avatars are like, hey guys, listen, uh, we're going to do a super cool utopia. Everyone's going to love it. And everyone at first is like, I don't know. And then they're like, all right, let's try it. But secret, oops, spoilers, um, the Avatars eat your souls a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is a price too high for Leo because his soul's already complicated. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I've already given my soul to the animal kingdom. <laughs> I can't have you eaten what I've got left. And then, of course, Zanku, who we've met before. No. Good. I so. <laughs> it's like, I don't remember Zanku. 
Zanku is an avatar who is defected from the avatars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he shows up. He's like, guys, it's it's a cookbook. We talked about this. It's bad news bears. What's a cookbook? How to Serve Man. Oh, right. Yeah. Did you cut that out of last week's? No, I don't think so. But the Book of Shadows is also a cookbook, so I didn't know which book you meant. <laughs> I recently talked to some friends that informed me the Book of Shadows is not a cookbook, but I don't know if they really remember the show as well as we do. I, they probably don't remember the show as well as we do, so... They join with Zanku, and they overthrow the avatars. It's not that hard, because the avatars aren't really used to resistance. And he just, right. like, bites their ankles real hard. And Zanku's, like, in avatar form, but he also starts biting their ankles. He's like, this is effective. They don't like this. Yeah, when the avatars are in, like, an avatar form, they're as strong as that form. But when they're in their, like, natural form, yeah. not hard to beat. No. So the avatars seem defeated. I don't know. At least these ones. There could be more of them. Who knows? I don't want to say they got them all, because I haven't read the whole season yet. Right. But they think they're done with him. They got this new friend, Zanku, who seems cool. I guess we don't know a ton about him. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I can't wait to see. I love Charmed. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I mean, what did you think of Zanku? Me? Yeah. The character design looks great. Mm-hmm. But I liked his costuming. Yeah? Yeah. But I, if I'm being really honest with you. Yeah. I feel like the very thick Midwestern accent they gave him like was weird. Is a weird okay. choice. Yeah. Do you think we can trust him? He was formerly an avatar. Like I think maybe... we can trust him. You, you do? Yeah. Okay. I mean, with that kind of accent, you just feel like you should trust him. That's true. Maybe that's his, his avatar is Midwestern man with a great costume. Yeah. So I would trust him. But I don't know. Defeating the avatars mid-season seems like there's probably going to be another villain coming. Sure, that's true. Did you read ahead? No. The way you said that sounds like you did. No. Oh, my gosh. Zanku, why are you doing this to me? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Zanku, Zanku, you hot toddies. All right, let's go back to the Charmed Mansion and have some pancakes. Girls, you going to make me some pancakes? (laughs) Why is he making them? Because I've never made them, don't you know? No, they're making him pancakes. I know, but he just demanded they do that. Well, he just I would saved- never be like, let's go to your house and you make me some pancakes. How about? They saved the world for him. He deserves pancakes. They saved the world for him. He deserves pancakes. No, I said that wrong. <laughs> Listen, now that you've done all that saving the world for me, I think you owe me some pancakes. Okay, well, that's been a lot. In fact, this has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian. Tell us what actually happened in I'd Rather Be in Philadelphia. Jess is at a train station. And, Mm -mm. oh, no, no, this is how I wanted it to start. Uh, This is your fanfic. (laughs) We've done a lot of fanfic of Jess. Were you watching for his name at the top? Because you didn't realize he wasn't in it until Richard says the line. I I didn't see his name at the top, but I thought it might be like. A secret. A secret, yeah. And he would pop in. I was like trying to figure out why that would be, but. So the last episode ended with Richard really solidifying himself as a memorable teacher at Yale by uh, having a heart attack, really trying to push through it, but ultimately having a full-on heart attack and being rushed to the hospital. Yeah, that's definitely a story you tell your grandkids. Your college professor had a heart attack one time. Yeah. This episode is about Richard being in the hospital and Lorelai and Christopher's fallout from their big fight. And all the Gilmore Girls dealing with Richard's sickness. But before we get into any of that, I want to talk about how this episode starts and like a small running bit throughout the episode. And that is Bad Bat's sex life. (laughs) 
The episode starts with Babette, I guess, borrowing like a large fake tree from Lorelai because she wants to decorate her bedroom for her and Maury's jungle-themed roleplay sex. Yeah. She says that she has like a snakeskin nightie, but also dresses up like a howler monkey. And she knows Maury's going to be excited that she's like decked the room out to look like it's a jungle. And the whole town knows about it. <laughs> the whole town knows about it. And she's all like, apparently this is something they just discovered when she got this snakeskin nightie. Maybe she put an ad out for plants or something. I guess. I also think it's funny that like Lorelai's learning about this like after she's agreed to loan it to him. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, this is for sex? Sex scenery. It won't be touched. She doesn't really want to know the details, though. <laughs> no. And then later there's more to do with Bad Bad Sex Life. But this was just like very funny how she's like, yeah, Maury's going to love it. <laughs> Babette also mentions that she just hasn't seen Christopher for a while. Where's he been? I don't know what that means. I thought this was like a day later or like maybe at most two days since their fight. Yeah, I'm guessing it's like the next day. Maybe some time has passed. But like what we were led to believe in the last episode was that like the next day or the same day she wakes up in her bed alone, Rory watches Richard get the heart attack. I guess that's what we don't know. Christopher definitely didn't come back that night, but then was it like a week later when Rory was in class? Yeah, I mean, that's not what the show shows us, but it's theoretically possible. Right. But I feel like this is just sort of a mistake. Because like, Christopher's been gone a while. Like, he's been gone like a day, maybe? Like, I don't think it's that weird you haven't seen him. Maybe she just hasn't seen him and I don't know. Well, she's yeah. been in her bedroom for like the last month, probably. Mm-hmm. That so, could be why. Yeah. And, and there's more on that later. She also points out that she doesn't know what Christopher does for a living. She's like, something with computers? Very mysterious. And I'm like, that's hilarious because that's so true. No one knows what Christopher does. Does he have a job even? He said he works in software to someone recently. Yeah, but I mean, does he? He doesn't. They, writers don't know what he does. They're just like, yeah, he's, uh, sometimes he's at work, I guess. Lorelai this whole time is ignoring her phone that's going off. But when she finally answers, of course, it's Rory saying that, you know, Richard's in the hospital. So she rushes off, meets Rory in the hospital. Rory is dealing with her stress, and we'll talk about how all the girls deal with their stress, but she's dealing with it by, like, rambling on about all the different tests they gave Richard. I think one of Rory's stress coping mechanisms is to just, like, get as much information on something as she can. Sure. So she's, like, listing all the different tests they did and, like, the test results and, like, what they're possibly going to do. And I just think that's her way of dealing with stress. It's like, here's all the information I can get on this. Like, I want to be as informed as possible. And I feel like we saw that with her and Logan previously when Logan was hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. Lorelai comforts her. It's kind of a nice scene. Lorelai calls Christopher and leaves a message telling him everything and, like, asking him to call her back. Rory wants to know where Christopher is and is clearly a little skeptical when Lorelai's like, yeah, I don't know. He's probably on his way. He just probably hasn't got my messages yet, which is like, okay, you don't know where your husband is? That's what that sounds like. Mm-hmm. Is he doing software stuff with computers? Probably. Very mysterious. You can tell that the girls are very upset because neither of them want to eat any of the enormous pile of snacks that Rory's obtained for them. Like, the whole table is just, like, littered with stuff she got from a vending machine. Yeah. Emily arrives and is an anxious, angry mess. You know how Emily gets at hospitals? You've seen it. It's not a good look. She walks up to the nicest nurse on the planet and just starts demanding that she see her husband, the rules of the hospital be damned. Then she starts chewing out the nurse, saying that she's too chipper and ought to be a weather girl or a preschool teacher. (laughs) Uh, Emily is so acerbic. I love it. Emily's pacing and ranting about how dumb people everywhere are, like the people at the club for not telling her about Richard sooner because of some rules. Lorelai offers her tea, but Emily doesn't want any. She just wants to pace and rant. 
Logan shows up to offer his condolences and be there for Rory. He offers Emily some tea. And suddenly Emily's like, I would love a cup of tea. It's coming from <laughs> you, Logan. That was awesome. Yeah. It was, and you just Lorelai's eyes rolling. Emily says, like, he's so kind. And then reminds Rory that Logan's one of the good ones. I want to know what she means by that. Like, one of the good men, because there's so many bad men, and he's one of the good men. Or, like, he's one of the good rich men that can help the family move socially upwards. I think she means the first one, but wouldn't even consider someone that's not also the second one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She and Richard are in love with Logan, as we know, and desperately want Rory and Logan to breed. (laughs) That's what they want. (laughs) Emily then notices that Christopher is not there. And mm-hmm. Lorelai's kind of like, uh, but she's saved by the doctor coming in, informing them that Richard does need to have surgery. Yeah, he's going to need open heart surgery. And if they want, Emily can go talk to him beforehand. Emily just starts badgering the doctor with all kinds of questions regarding his qualifications, like where he attended school and stuff. Lorelai's like, come on, mom. But the doctor seems not phased at all. I feel like he acts like he gets this question all the time. Is that so? There was a comment in here that I didn't get. Like at the end of this, Emily's like, see. And Lorelai's like, see what? But they never really answer it. So I don't. I didn't know what that meant. Is it just like what you just said? Like the doctor's used to these kind of questions and it's totally yeah. fair of her to ask? Yeah, I think Lorelai is like, why are you asking these questions, mom? Like at the end of the day, they're irrelevant. But the doctor's like, no. And he answers all of the questions in a way that's very satisfactory to Emily. But the way he answers it, I feel like is saying that like, yeah, he gets this a lot from people. And honestly, I mean, she's being a lot. But I think this is just Emily's way of reassuring herself that he's in the best hands. Yeah. And no, it's not kind, but this doctor, I think on some levels, like this woman needs reassurance that I'm very good at this because her husband's life is in my hands. It is funny to think that there are just like heart surgeons out there that graduated, but mostly got C's. (laughs) This doctor got his undergraduate at Yale and then went to Harvard. Emily's cool with that. She also notices that his hands don't quiver or shake at all. So she is satisfied. And when she goes to see Richard, she tells him all about the doctor's qualifications. Lorelai, like, takes a breath before going into the room, which is interesting. Yes. She was, like, very hesitant to go into her dad's hospital room in the season one episode. I don't think she handles this kind of stress very well at all. No. I think all of the women in the Gilmore Girls don't handle this stress very well. I would say Rory probably handles it the best, but in Rory's defense, she is also the most removed from it. It's her grandfather, which is still important, but it's not her father. And she has a good relationship with him, so it's not like ending on some terms where it's like, oh, I wish I had told him I loved him. Yeah, I think that's what it is for Lorelai. She knows their relationship's strained. And also, she's got Logan there to support her. Mm -hmm. Lorelai has no one there to support her. And Emily has Lorelai, who honestly, if I'm being real, does a real piss-poor job of supporting her mother in this episode until the end. Well, she's going through some stuff. I agree with you, but I just think she doesn't take care of her mother very well. Like I said, all of their coping mechanisms start, like, they're all different. Rory tries to get as much information as she can on something. Lorelai just, like, talks, like, rambles, and it, like, makes jokes that don't really work and, like, won't stop rambling. Emily is just, like, obsessed with controlling and micromanaging everything she can to help Richard. So, like, the pillow's not fluffed enough or not the right size. There's a whole pillow situation. Yeah. And all of their different coping mechanisms honestly start clashing, and there starts to be some tension between everybody. But then Richard breaks the tension by making a joke. They ask him how he's feeling, and he makes a Ronald Reagan reference, saying, all in all, I think I'd rather be in Philadelphia. And this is where I was pissed. I was like, that's where the title comes from? He was very upset. Really? You might as well just said, all in all, Jess isn't going to be here, guys. (laughs) I was like, all in all, I'd rather be in Philadelphia, checking out Jess, see what he's doing. 
But he makes a joke, too, about how he would maybe even rather be in Tucson, even though he hates Tucson. And that, like, brings everyone down to the, like, dad's alive. Let's stop freaking out. As I mentioned, Emily's coping mechanism to deal with all the stress is kind of like throwing herself into her work. Specifically, she is Richard's wife, and she sort of sees that as her job. And what she's doing is just, like, trying to get all of Richard and her affairs, social and otherwise, in order, working with all these details. She makes a ton of phone calls, like canceling their reservations at this fancy restaurant, but doing so in a very elegant way and skillfully and artfully not mentioning that he had a heart attack. Lorelai doesn't like any of this because it seems to her like her mom is being cold and like not caring about her father and is more interested in like caring about like how this appears, like the optics of all this. But really, I think it's her just throwing herself into her work. And that's more apparent later. But what's interesting to me is that this is exactly what Lorelai did when she and Rory had that big fight last season. And she just like threw herself into her work at the inn. But Emily doesn't have an inn. She has a marriage. That's like her job as far as she's concerned. A lot of Emily's behavior is really played for laughs. She just like starts using some nurse's phone to call that fancy restaurant to cancel the reservations. She's also become obsessed with fish because she read a few months ago that it's good for your heart. So she like orders a ton of different types of fish to have delivered to the house, even though it's like, is that important right now as far as Lorelai's concerned? But like Lorelai just like doesn't like any of this. She just seems like she's mad at the way Emily's dealing with the stress. Again, feeling like she's being cold or like not really caring that Richard's hurt. Logan, meanwhile, is trying to be a good boyfriend while Rory talks nonstop. Again, it's how girlma girls deal with this kind of stuff. He isn't answering his phone. He's still trying to be present there for her, even though his phone is just like obnoxiously ringing and vibrating almost off the table in front of him. He's all like, don't worry about it. I'll, I'm here for you. I'll text him back in a minute. I'm like, can you just shut your phone off for a second? It's probably like unpleasant to just hear that vibrating constantly while she's talking to you. Like, it, it seems like she feels uncomfortable probably. Like, yeah, he could phone. just shut it off if he's it's, gonna ignore it. It's almost like a show that you're not answering it. It was nice though, because throughout this episode, he's clearly trying to be there for her 100%. Which was, like I said, nice because when he was sick, she was there for him, throwing herself into being there for him. And now he's sort of repaying the favor and being very attentive to her. And I think the show does a good job of showing him being so attentive. Meanwhile, at the diner, apparently Zach works there now. He's filling in while his mega pregnant wife is uh, out for a while. He somehow enjoys working there. He's just like, is monologuing to Luke about how much he digs working behind the counter and being like on the inside of a job. I don't buy that at all. There's no way Zach would not just be complaining the entire time. That's like his whole MO. That's like his character that just says like, loves Lane, complains. That's like his whole character synopsis. He likes when things are rock and roll. He kind of compares this to like a backstage pass to a club. That's fair. That's uh, that was that's also inside of his character description. Loves when things are rock and roll. Yeah, and that's how he justifies it. It's like being backstage. He and Luke get along, I guess. Babette shows up, and Luke asks her, "What can I get you? You still stocking the jungle with snacks? Whatever that means." So apparently, <laughs> she showed up. It was like I'm stocking the jungle, you know, with snacks, and didn't tell him that that's their sex. That's their sex thing. So she's stocking the bedroom with snacks for their jungle sex. Luke doesn't sell snacks. His food is perishable. You can't stock the bedroom with what he sells. I want to say he used to have, like, uh, chips in the background. Maybe, but you'd go to Dozy's for that. Yeah, but maybe you want to go to Luke's to mention the jungle sex. 
Could be. So that was just like really funny little callback to her like sex capades. But she came to Luke's because she feels like she needs to tell Luke that Lorelai's father had a heart attack. She's like, I think you'd want to know. And he does want to know. Everyone wants to be there for Lorelai right now. Lorelai calls Suki and Suki sends her a bunch of baked goods. Michelle, even Michelle sends his thoughtful regards via Suki on the phone. He also then wants to discuss some like work minutiae. Yeah, I think he was buttering her up so he could get to the work minutia. I don't know. I think he really meant it. But then was like, okay, but now work stuff. It seemed like he could solve that problem on his own. He was like, he needed an extra rollaway bed for a couple that was actually siblings. Yeah. But shouldn't he like have logs of when people are checking in and out and where the beds are? Well, now that Rory's messed up his postage system, he's probably just lost about who's where <laughs> and what needs to go where. Just seems like that's literally his job is to keep track of. Yeah, absolutely. Where and who and when things are. Totally. But even I feel like even he was there for her at least performatively. <laughs> yeah, maybe it wasn't fake, but he had no problems with jumping right back into work. So M- Michelle has shown sympathy for her that I thought was genuine before. So yeah, yeah. I think I think he was being sympathetic. But then he's also like, but I need this information from you. But still no Chris. Lorelai is not handling her dad being so weak. She leaves another message on Chris's voicemail asking him to call her back. She talks about this dream she had about him looking small one time. And she's like really just worried about her father not looking strong and tall. They really mention a lot how tall and or strong he does or does not look. Yeah. So Luke shows up at the hospital. And I love Lorelai's face when she says hi to him really quickly because (laughs) her face definitely has this like, what the fuck are you doing here right now? Kind of look to it. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, it's not good that you're here just because of the whole Chris stuff. Luke is like, I heard you were in trouble. And he says he just like didn't even know what came over him. He just like came right away. It's like, yeah, I heard you were in trouble. And then I went to a fugue and then just drove here. Yeah, I just left my diner and just got in my car and like wasn't even looking where I was going. I drove over a child. I have no memory of getting out of my car. I just I'm here now, I guess. I was in the diner. Now I'm here and I want to help. I slapped a car on my way in. <laughs> yeah. The car is in the middle of the hospital. It's just crashed through the windows. But he's like, I want to help any way I can. But then he realizes that maybe it might be a little bit weird if the guy who he's recently punched a few times sees him here with Lorelai. Lorelai says that she doesn't need Luke's help. But then Emily just gives him like a complicated laundry list of things to do of like going to get Richard's car and like filling it with nice gas and stuff. Shovel the sidewalk. Yeah. At first I was like, wow, Emily just being so much. And I think she was. But I really kind of think that maybe she was just like, I want excuses for you not to be here. You said that. I guess I could see that. I don't think it was played that way. I think she was like, Luke is blue collar help. And I don't care because mm-hmm. she's like not excited to see him i don't get the impression she is super aware of the lack of christopher right now i don't think she's processed that yet i don't know i really don't know because i could see it both ways you could be right but i feel like they would have shown us a knowing look from emily at some point sure if that was true yeah i hear what you're saying that. yeah you're absolutely right they usually are like her face should be showing a five on the emotion scale let's show a 10 just so the audience knows what's going on Emily also sends Logan and Rory to her house to grab some stuff for Richard, but also to pay the fish man who's going to drop off just gallons of fish. Lorelai wants to go on the trip, but Rory's like, uh, I'm leaving, so you should be here for mom, you know, because someone's going to take care of mom, and, you know, it, it should be you, which Lorelai's not good at. I feel like Rory's totally right. Like, someone's got to be here for mom, and it's got to be you. And Lorelai's like, yeah, I guess... But she's not good at it. She just, like, doesn't handle her mother's stress coping mechanisms very well. Yeah, I mean, maybe Rory should stay because she's better. 
Yeah. Dealing with Emily than Lorelai is historically. Logan borrows Lorelai's car to do this trip because, here's how we got to the hospital, he took a helicopter in. Mm-hmm. So many questions about this. First off, what? Secondly, apparently when Logan heard about Richard, he was schmoozing some hedge fund manager trying to get him on board with his next project, and the manager just loaned him the helicopter to use. No big deal. My big question is, where's this helicopter right now? Don't helicopters go to hospitals? They, like, land on the roof and shit. Absolutely. But then did the helicopter just be like, all right, see you later, bro. I'm heading back to Montauk. Maybe. I guess that's possible. I think that's his job is to wait for his boss to need a helicopter ride. I guess that is true. Logan is planning on buying another internet company, hoping to turn themselves into a user-generated media hub where the users can share content. What an innovative idea. It's weird because it sounds like what Facebook is. Yeah, or Reddit or Twitter or Instagram. But like Facebook maybe wasn't this then as much. Right. It was still just kind of sharing more personal stuff. and fo- It wasn't like for sharing everything. Yeah, because he says about like content like videos, pictures and stuff. And Facebook was just pictures and like, I'm at the beach. Yeah. I'm feeling like a potato chip, like whatever. The first couple years of Facebook, there was barely even photos. Yeah. Like you could have a profile picture, but you weren't like sharing a ton of photos the first like year of it. It's so funny to think. I mean, Facebook, honestly, when I was in college, real quick, was pretty much just a way to see like what cute girls are in your class. That's that's what people used it for. Men did. Yeah. And I'm sure women did the same thing. When you first got it, you were kind of like automatically friends with everyone in your network, which yes. is like who went to your school. Yes. And then you could friend people from different schools, but it was literally just for college. Eventually opened up to high school. Maybe at this point in time in Gilmore Girls, it was opened up to high school. I don't know if it was public yet, though. The guy who designed this new site is going to sell it for what Logan says is cheap because the guy just like wants to move on to something else for $5 billion. Logan casually is like, oh, I'm just going to put up $3 billion from my trust fund. No big deal. It'd be great. I ran this idea past my dad, and he was like, no, I don't want any part of that. It sounds like a bad idea, but I'm sure it's going to be great. I 100% think this is going to blow up in his face. I, he's too confident in it. If it doesn't, I'm going to be mad. If this is successful, whatever. But his dad didn't want any part of it. This has got to blow up in his face. He's $3 billion from his trust fund, like nonchalant. That or we won't even mention it again. <laughs> That's how Gilmore Girls is. We just won't even mention it again at all. We'll see. I just want to clarify. You've been saying he's going to pay billions for this company. I'm pretty sure it's millions. Yeah, my mistake. Millions. Still a lot of money to just throw around, uh, but not nearly the same as billions. But significantly less. Significantly yes. less than billions. Why is he still doing business if he's got $3 billion in his trust fund? Yeah, just, just go party, Logan. You're good. Yeah, just live the life you wanted to live. You're fine. So Logan and Rory go to Emily's house, and Logan at some point slips into business speak, and then he and Rory start like bonding, flirting over how she understands how businesses work and understands the vocab words he's using. She's like, yeah, I picked this all up from my economics class with my grandfather. He's like a really brilliant teacher. She also says they're going to do like a fake apprentice next week where Richard's going to pretend to be Donald Trump. I I hope we get to see this. I hope it happens. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see Richard doing a Donald Trump impression. 
While Logan and Rory are talking, they're gathering books and records for Richard to use at the hospital. But they are just like filling this box with just so, so, so many books. Like a year's worth of books go into this box. There's it's just a lot of books. no way he's reading all these books. And there's also, if you look, there's a kind of a funny part where Logan, the actor, like clearly misses the box with the book <laughs> and then has to readjust. It's pretty funny. He did a good job of continuing to talk, though. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, that's a thing a person could really do in real life. It's not yeah. that crazy, but it was still funny. But then the best part of the episode is when the fish man drops off the fish. <laughs> <laughs> this all happens off screen. The fish man comes, drops off the fish. And apparently off screen makes a, a fish joke about COD cod regarding the check. But what we see is a scene starts with Logan at the door, like kind of half laughing and saying goodbye to the fish man on the other side. And we just hear the fish man saying, you like that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the dude sounds like a cartoon character, like Beavis and Butthead. You like that one? Huh? <laughs> it sounds unreal. It's so Logan's crazy. Just like, uh, yep. And he closes the door. You like that one? <laughs> I live on the street. They call me the Rat King. Like, I'm a fish cool. man myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm part fish. Guess which part? <laughs> <laughs> it's my larynx. Like, it's, it's, it's what a voice choice. <laughs> Logan makes a joke that he's this guy's like comedic sidekick. But that is funny because they had set up when he was on the phone with him giving him directions that mm-hmm. they were doing like a Abbott and Costello bit. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because you did a who's on first thing in Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. But I liked that they sort of set up that he was like a comedic duo with this guy. But this line is so quick and like yeah. so like unimportant and so over the top though. I know. We had to rewatch it. it was we so had to funny. rewatch it. Like, was that was that real? Rory's a little displeased because she can't find Richard's favorite Bing Crosby record, one that he recorded with his son. That Rory says makes Richard say, I wish I were a crooner every time he listens to it. Okay, whatever the hell that means. But You don't know what that means? I know what the words mean. Like, why does he say that? Because he wishes he were a crooner in another life. Okay. Because he likes the way they sing and wishes he had that job. Okay. What else would it mean? It's just a weird thing to say every time you hear a song. Hmm. Like, if a song came on by Taylor Swift, I really like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I wish I was a singer. Some people might. Okay. Okay. But they find the record and all is well. And she thanks Logan for being so supportive. And he's like, you don't have to thank me. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. I would just have to say, Alexis Bledel has so much dialogue in this episode. Mm-hmm. Specifically mm-hmm. these scenes at Emily and Richard's house. And it's all just like lists of books and people that Alexis has probably never heard of. Yeah. It's just like, it's really hard stuff to memorize. She's, she's got like just long chunks of it. Emily really does too. Hers is a bit more normal, but hers is like lists of made up people. Like she's like got this long rant about stuff at the club. Like both of them, I, I think, did a really good job with like learning their lines in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how the show is always, but I don't know. They just really stood out to me in this one in particular. I like that Logan also puts up with Rory's like coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I bet he also thinks this is way too many books. <laughs> right. Like, isn't telling her that. He's, right. he's in fact, he kind of tells her she's doing a nice thing by like giving him all this stuff to read. Right. Like when she starts to kind of think, oh shoot, maybe my grandpa won't be my professor anymore. He's like, yeah, but you're, you're here giving him all these books. Yeah, that's a really good insight. I don't know, it was nice. Back at the hospital, Chris still hasn't called or shown up. Babette calls. 
and is super funny. Once again, she is so great this season. I feel like they just started writing really well for her. I don't know. I mean, all along, she's been great. She has. This season, I feel like she's had so many really good rants. She starts talking about how Richard will be fine because of how much chi he has. He's got a lot of chi. And she says, sexy men like him often do have this much chi. That's what makes them so sexy. She is really horned up. (laughs) Lorelai's like, okay. (laughs) Why are you calling to talk about his chi? She's calling because... Paul Anka won't, like, go pee, and of course, it's because he's afraid of stairs, and Babette just needs to put her jacket down, and he'll forget about the stairs, and he'll be fine. They've set that up, that he's afraid of the stairs. Yeah. I feel like Lorelai could make things work with Christopher if she just treated him the way she treats Paul Anka. Just, like, figure out what all his fears and idiosyncrasies are, and then just work around them. Just be like, oh, uh, he's afraid of Luke's. Just throw your coat on a Luke whenever Luke's around. He'll be fine. Just let him move your shoes around. He'll be fine. Yeah. Emily is admittedly being a lot at the hospital. She's complaining nonstop and taking phone calls at inappropriate times, all while Lorelai is like rolling her eyes behind her at every moment. I get that Lorelai's upset, but it's it's just like clear to me that this is how Emily deals with shit and like let it go. She just just let her deal with stress the way she wants to deal with stress. Yeah, I didn't really get why Lorelai was upset with Emily. I get why Lorelai is upset. So maybe that's why. I think it's that. I think it's her own stuff bleeding into it. And she's just like, you know, her mother is irritating and she just let it get to her because she's upset and she doesn't have anyone there for her right now. Yeah. At some point, the two women start quoting cliches at each other while they're like at the cafeteria. The cafeteria seems pretty funny. They sit next to a man with an IV and Emily's all like, ugh, should be a separate dining area for sick people. The way she says that with such disgust and condescension is so funny. Also, Emily can't identify what is clearly quiche. Yeah. I was like, that it looks like eggs from here. I imagine it looks like quiche up close, too. Well, I mean, she's probably used to, like, super fancy quiche. Quiche. Oh, you think Emily's quiching? <laughs> the cliche bit was funny, because they're sort of making digs at each other by the end. Like, yes. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Or, like, mother Mother's knows always best. Re- yeah. Yeah, they're doing little digs with the cliches. It was funny. At some point, though, Lorelai, like, calls her mother out. She's like, you're, like, getting the will delivered to the hospital. Like, you're taking care of all these, like, public things for Richard. But, like, you don't even care that he's dying. Emily's like, I'm being pragmatic, okay? That's how I'm dealing with this. And I agree with her. I feel like she's not being crazy. I think Lorelai's point was more like, he's not dead yet, and you're acting like he is. Right. And then later, Lorelai just, like, blows up at her at some point when Emily asks her to, like, sign some will documents. But then Emily sort of breaks down. She tells Lorelai that six years ago, when Richard got sick, season one, they were not prepared for that, and they agreed to never let that happen again, being unprepared. So Emily's doing everything she can right now to like prepare them for the eventuality that maybe he were to die, or just that he'll be sick for a while. Emily breaks down a little bit in the scene, like I said, and essentially says that like her whole identity is being Richard's wife. It's a little old-school gender role situation, But it's a role that she has given herself and that they've agreed upon. And who am I to judge their decisions as a couple? Which they've indicated before, too. Yeah. She's expressed this before. Totally. They're very traditional. And I think, you know, he's like the breadwinner and she just supports him. But I think the show's gone out of its way to say that, like, the way she supports him isn't just like this submissive woman. It's more like a partner. I think there's like things he's incapable of doing that he relies on her for. Like she specifically says she like whispers people's names in his ear when he doesn't Mm -hmm. remember. I shouldn't say he's incapable, but I think there's just things he wouldn't think to do. Right. 
that he maybe even takes for granted that Absolutely. she makes run in their household. And I don't she doesn't say this, but it seems clear to me that like all of the stuff she's doing is giving her some semblance of control over the situation where she doesn't have any control. Like mm-hmm. she says that like everything's out of her hands. She just has to wait and she hates that. And so I think like all these little tasks she's doing is like her way of like asserting control over the situation. And then Lorelai, I think, figures it out and is like, oh, okay, that's what my mom's doing. I need to be here for my mom. And then she's there for her mother. She just steals some Kleenex for <laughs> Emily because she's crying. And Emily's like, did you just take those? <laughs> then we get a really nice, very quick scene of Lorelai like actually being there for her mother in the waiting room. She's like feeding her milk duds. Yeah. I love when Emily really digs junk food. Yeah. And Emily's all like, what are these? These are silly. But I like them. <laughs> but this is the scene that I, I, I really enjoyed, even though it was so quick, because it was like Lorelai realizing she needs to be there for her mother, understanding how her mother's coping with these things. And like, that's why she's acting this way. And yeah. I need to be there for her. That's my role right now. When she's um, having her meltdown, which is great, by the way, we should address it. Like yes. The actress yeah. actually like gets emotional, and I think we, we got a little emotional, perhaps. Yes. She does a great job. But she says to Lorelai, what do you know about being a wife? I thought that was... To be fair, though, when she says that dig, it isn't such a dig like your marriage is in shambles. She doesn't say it like that. She's all like, you've been married for like zero time so far. Right. Which is why I kind of think she doesn't realize that things are as bad as they are with Christopher at this point in the episode. Sure. Uh, well, I kind of wondered if... Earlier when I said she didn't want Luke there, I didn't mean it like, oh, she knows things are rocky with Christopher. I think she's sort of like, Christopher doesn't like Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The doctor shows up and says the surgery went extremely well. Richard's fine. He's recovering and he's sleepy. So maybe just Emily should go talk to him. She just like hands all the milk duds back to Lorelai. <laughs> yeah, I know. The ones that are in her hand. Those like melt in your hand for sure. Yeah. Emily sits next to Richard. And this is a sweet scene where she's just like rapid fire listing all the things she did for him. He seems grateful, but he also seems very tired. He's like, that sounds just fine, Emily, and smiles at her. And then yeah. she calms down. It was nice. It is nice, but you were like, yeah, he probably is just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Probably like, yeah, yeah, great, but I'm so fucking tired right now. I'm so tired. I don't want that fish. It was sweet, though. Lorelai calls Christopher again and tells him the surgery went well, but also it's like not okay that he's not there. I think a little bit of what Emily said about being a wife, being a husband, like that had an effect on Lorelai. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like, I'm trying to be a good wife to you, but like, you're my husband and it's not cool that my husband's not here for me while I'm in need. Like, I'm pretty sure that married couples are supposed to be there for each other no matter what. She also doesn't say this, but she was there for him when his dad died in a way she maybe should not have been. Yeah. Was, I was just like, going to mention engaged, that. Engaged. She got wasted with him. Yeah. Maybe she wasn't engaged then. Rory and Lorelai spend some time with Richard. This is also another really sweet scene. This is much later after he's taken his nap. Probably just like kept an eye open to see when Emily was done talking about the things <laughs> she did for him. Uh, but Rory and Lorelai are spending some time with him, cheering him up. Rory plays his Bing Crosby song. And as you'd expect, he just kind of murmurs, I wish you were a crooner. <laughs> um, but they're all happy. Lorelai tells him that he looks good. He looks tall. Richard falls asleep again. And then Lorelai tells Rory that she's really happy that she and Logan are doing so well. And that, you know, maybe he's not half bad. Maybe he's almost okay. Hmm. And I like that because I think it's her being like, I've withheld judgment from Logan. I don't want to like Logan, but maybe I can like Logan. Yeah, because she really didn't like him at first. Yeah. But I feel like at this point, they've been together long enough that she should like try to like Logan. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this is her saying like, maybe we can have Logan in the family. Maybe he's all right. 
I think she's liked him enough ever since the Vineyard episode. Yeah, I agree. Nothing really negative has happened since More then. on the Vineyard episode in a moment. Well, actually, after the Vineyard episode, I think, was the bridesmaid issue. Where he needed Lorelai to help get them back together. Right. So maybe there was some new tension after that. But also in this scene, Lorelai admits that she has no idea where Christopher is. And I think also that line sort of tells Rory, like, things aren't good. Yeah, because Rory asks, like, you don't know where dad is, do you? No, she's no idea. Luke, after all of his, like, car chores from Emily, went back to the diner and made, like, a ton of food for everybody. Including a ton of fish, just because he overheard that fish is important somehow. <laughs> and I want to mention this quickly. One of the foods he lists that he brought from his diner is a lobster roll. What? So I'm like, okay, is this either the show being like, oh, we forgot that Luke has never had lobster until last season. Or is this the show being like, yeah, we remember that Luke loved lobster, so he added it to his menu. <laughs> I would say the second thing. <laughs> he went and added it. Yeah, I am fine with that. It's just a funny little quick thing. I was like, you've never had that until last season, but you Who did love you it. Who could get lobster in New England? <laughs> to Luke's credit here, he is trying to like quickly drop this all off at a nurse desk without seeing any of the family, without interrupting them or getting in the way. I think it's actually kind of sweet that he did all this, but he's also like not trying to be like in the way because he probably doesn't want Christopher to catch him. In bags with his name on it. That is true. <laughs> Before Luke can sneak off and leave just a bag with his name on it, Lorelai catches him and they start talking. And of course, as they're talking, sullen-ass Chris shows up. I don't know that he's actually there for Lorelai. He might have been coming to the hospital to deal with his severely bruised ego. It's not clear. Oh. But he's there and, of course, is pissed when he sees Luke talking to Lorelai. But he doesn't want to talk about it here. No, he shows up and she's like, I didn't know if you were coming. He's like, clearly, Luke is here. (laughs) Mm, Luke. I don't like him. Is that a lobster roll? (laughs) But before he can fight with Lorelai, Luke leaves, and then Rory and Emily show up, and he puts on his best sympathetic good dad face to go see Richard. Uh, They're going to fight later, I assume. At this point, though, Emily comes over to Lorelai, looks at Christopher, and then starts with the cliches again, saying that blood is thicker than water, every cloud is a silver lining. And I think at this point she can tell something's weird with Chris, right? Yeah, because here her face shows us that she can tell something. Yeah. Or she's just been like, ooh, I thought of some more cliches. So that's where the episode ends, where they're going to go see Richard. But yeah, she's like clearly trying to comfort Lorelai. Yeah. Which is nice. Or it's either she's trying to comfort Lorelai or she's just like, Chris looks weird. So, was this a good episode of Gilmore Girls? I think so. Yeah, it was good. We don't really know how Richard's going to fare, so there's always that tension. He made it last time, so we didn't know if he would be okay this time. I I feel like the episode never puts his health into question. Like, they're like, yeah, the dude who's going to do the surgery is super skilled, super common procedure. He was fine a second ago. I I never once thought Richard was going to die in this episode. Hmm. I I think the show doesn't even try to really put that past you. If they did, they did a bad job. But I think it was just really well crafted. Like, there's a lot of sort of running bits. The Babette thing. Yeah. The cliche thing they set mm-hmm. up, and then they end on that. The Logan joking with the Fishman thing was sort of a running thing. But like you said, just sort of the dance of the three women's coping mechanisms and their support systems being very much there or not there, and mm-hmm. the way that was all intertwined. I think it was a really well-written episode. Yeah, I'd seen so too, yeah. The crooner thing, that was another running bit. I know you hated that, but like it was something they set up and paid off. 
the Philadelphia thing. Just a lot of – the writing was great in this episode, I thought. And the acting. Love seeing Emily vulnerable. That doesn't happen very often. Right, yeah. Lorelai not knowing how to deal with her parents being vulnerable is like a relatable thing, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was good. Yeah, I think so too. We got to see Logan being a really good boyfriend. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I don't know how much effort really was required of Logan to be a good boyfriend. He just had to ignore his phone. Yeah, but I think the show was trying to show. <laughs> a lot of books. I think the show was trying to show us that he's not a bad guy and that he loves Rory. I think it was it was good. And the emotional, when Emily was breaking down, that was really cool. That tugged at my heartstrings. I liked it a lot. And when Lorelai's like, hey, that's not okay. I think that was a, a bit emotional yeah. for me as well. And it really solidified for me that Chris is a piece of shit. Like, it's not like they had a fight where she, like, literally cheated on Christopher. And so he's like, I, I'm just so angry about the thing you did to betray me. I can't see you. Really, it's like, I have a bunch of insecurities, and I'm upset with you about my insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is shitty for him to not put that aside for this situation. Absolutely. Like, he could come there and still be mad at her and deal with it later. But is he mad at her even though? It's just like... You hid this letter from me. Sure, I'm like a little irked about that. But is that enough to just like walk out of a marriage or like not be there for her? It's too much. Like yeah, I said, I mean, cheating, even if their marriage sure. is over, he should be there for her mm-hmm. as a friend, as their history. Right. In, as Rory's dad, you know, in this situation. Absolutely. So for him to just be like, no, we're in a fight. Deal with it yourself. Totally. Him saying Luke probably wasn't good, though. Yeah. But she explains like I didn't even call him. He just came. Yeah, it's tough. But I can understand Christopher being there and like not being like happy about it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Not necessarily showing that he's mad, but just like if just him and Lorelai are alone, like we're going to talk about our marriage later. It's not okay. Like we're still putting a pause on our fight right now, but we're going to fight later. But yeah, I, I think it was a good episode. But like to me, like I want her away from Chris. I, I don't want them together anymore. Because it's just like this whole season has been about Christopher's just like insecurities. Yeah, I tried to kind of say this in the last episode, and one of our fans, I think, put it more eloquently, that if he was going to pressure her into this marriage the way he did, he pressured her into being together, he pressured her into getting married, he's pressured her to have a kid, he should give her a bit more emotional leeway that she might still, like, have some baggage from this other relationship. Oh, yeah, totally. But also kind of what I was saying, that the tension between them should be about how she thinks Luke is a better father figure than he is. Uh Uh-huh. And less about his insecurity about her love for Luke. Like, like, I think that should be more intertwined than it is. You mean the show should focus more on that? Yes. Like, the issue of their relationship should be more focused on how she thinks Luke is a better dad than him. Sure. I mean, I think the show sort of, he feels like Luke's a better dad than him. But he never says that to her. I feel like it's pretty clear, though. He just brings up, like, oh, because once he's in your life, he never leaves. But he didn't, like, bring up the fact that, like, she thinks Luke is a better dad to Rory yeah, than he Yeah, that's was. never said. In my head, though, that's why he's upset, is that Luke was the father figure he wasn't, and Lorelai holds that against him, even if she doesn't actively, like, her subconscious at least knows that's true, and that's embarrassingly hurtful to him, because he's a man-child with a pathetic flat-screen TV. <laughs> it's better than Luke's TV. That's fair, but he knows how to use it. What? Does Christopher not? I this see. Is a it's dick a dick joke. joke. <laughs> I don't know. Lorelai keeps going back to Christopher's flat screen. <laughs> she can't not go back to Christopher's flat screen. Yeah. Okay. So which episode do you think was better, Brian? Gilmore Girls. Yeah, me too. Finally pulling itself back from the brink. I don't think this was a hard one either. No. I think this is a really good Gilmore Girls and one of the weaker Buffies of the season. Absolutely. For me. No, I agree. Maybe some people love this Buffy, but on IMDb. 
It's rated lower than most. Any more to discuss on that? No. Okay. If you want to watch along next week, we'll be discussing Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 14, Farewell, My Pet. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 14, First Date. Hmm. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. How do you deal with stress? Like, which of the Gilmore Girls coping mechanisms would you identify most with? Why was Amy hanging out with these witches? Do you think Amy was just randomly too powerful? Do you want to see more of the fish man? Pretty good joke, right? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy. We post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Louise and Mish767. Welcome and thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Well, all's well that ends well. Life is like a box of chocolates. Can't believe we're done. Time flies, though, when you're having fun. It's a wonderful life. I don't know how to do this. Have a nice week, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.